It is my great privilege now to introduce our preacher for this morning. And if you've been around Grace for some time, you may have heard Nick preach. Nick has preached here back as far as 15 years ago. Uh, Nick Perrin uh, preached uh, between the first and the second senior pastor of our church. And uh, two years ago now, you were named the president of Trinity up in Deerfield. So he and his wife, Carrie, who is with us this morning, glad you're here with us. Uh, They live up in Lincolnshire. Uh, He is the president of Trinity International University. He is a New Testament scholar. I have some of his books on my shelf. And he is a great preacher. Please tell me that's not my phone. It is my phone. Um, there you go. Jeez. <laughs> oh, it's going to happen again. Um, so, but Nick Parent is the he's the president of Trinity, and it's an organization that we really want to partner with. Uh, as you may know, we have four interns uh, from uh, TED's, the Divinity School that he oversees, the, the seminary that he oversees. And so we're so thrilled to have Nick with us this morning uh, to preach God's word for us. So, Nick, come on, uh, preach God's word for us, and I'll try to figure my phone out. So. All right, thank you, Marshall, for that very kind introduction, and good morning. Good to see everybody here. Uh, it has been a long time since I last preached at this church. The building was different, uh, to give you an idea about that, um, but it's the same church, and if you uh, were part of that crew and remember me, maybe you, I had some pretty unrememberable unre- sermons, uh, so maybe you don't remember me, but just come up after me, or if you're a Trinity alum, there was some Trinity alum who came up to me after last service, love, Cammie, I would love to meet you. But, uh, you know, we are so appreciative of our partnership. Uh, Trinity's uh, mission is to educate men and women to engage in God's redemptive work in the world. And we're in partnership with this church because uh, you have four interns here at this church who are benefiting from great Trinity education, uh, being equipped by you as a church and learning under uh, Marshall and Nick's leadership as well as the leadership of the other uh, uh, elders here. Uh, So just grateful and grateful for the opportunity to bring you God's word. And especially with this wonderful chapter in Genesis 15. If you were to make a top 10 list of top 10 most important chapters in the Bible, uh, you would likely come up with Genesis 15 in that top 10 list. And that is because this is the passage which sets the trajectory for all of God's redemptive purposes throughout the course of redemptive history. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles on your phone or you're packing the paper, to Genesis chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, 
Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and young pigeon. Abraham brought all these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch uh, appeared and passed through the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cabanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful uh, for those of us who are uh, sitting in the sanctuary. We're grateful for the opportunity to be here. Others are coming in uh, through online. Uh, Lord, in either case, we're sitting at your feet. And as we continue worship, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. And Lord, we also believe that you have a message for uh, each of us. Use the foolishness of my preaching, I pray, Lord. Uh, that you might minister to your people, uh, encourage the downcast, comfort the fearful, and convict those who need convicting. We pray this in your name. Amen. So later this afternoon, I understand there's going to be a couple football games on. One of the football teams playing in the game is the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City Chiefs played a very interesting game a week ago against a team called the Cleveland Browns. Now, just a little background on the Cleveland Browns is that was their first trip to a playoff game since 2003. And so all of Cleveland was in a stir watching their team play a very close match with the Kansas City Chiefs. And it came down to this point in the game with just over four minutes left in the game. And the Cleveland Browns have the ball on their own side of the field with four minutes left. It's fourth down, meaning they have one more shot to try to advance the ball nine yards. Or do they give the ball back and hope that they get it back one more time in order to win the game? And so the coach has to make a decision as to whether to punt the ball or to what they call go for it on fourth and long. In the end, he decided to punt the ball, and they never got back, and the Cleveland Browns lost that game. Now, I remember watching the game, and I remember the commentators saying, well, if I were him, I I would go for it. And I was thinking, well, that's easy for you to say. Because who's the one who has to answer the press if it doesn't work out? Who's the one who has to take the heat? Who's the one who has to have skin in the game? But the coach. You know, it seems to me that, especially in these days, there's no shortage of people giving you advice as to what's important and what's valuable and what should be done. People who also make promises say, well, if you go this way, 
then things will work really well out for you. They give you their advice, but if it doesn't work out, there's no skin for them in that game. No loss to them, no downside. And I think about sometimes the way people talk about religion. Sometimes people you know, say, well, hey, this is the way you should go, um, and, and this is the way you should go, and I just believe this because I believe it. But I have no assurance that this is right at all. You know, it used to be that people would say that one thing that sets Christianity apart from all the world religions is this, is that Christianity, and this is true, is the one religion where we don't try to get to God. God comes to us. And again, that's true, but there's something more that needs to be said. It's not just that God comes to us, but as Genesis 15 shows, this God who comes to us puts skin in the game. He stakes the truthfulness of what the scriptures assert on his very self. And we'll explore that in this passage. But what that means for us very practically today is that the same God who made promises to Abraham is the same God who makes promises to us. And we can trust in those promises because he is vouched for, again, how? By putting skin in the game. What kind of promises do we need to trust God for? What are the things that we go to him for? Well, I want to talk about three things this morning. Uh, First of all, we need to trust God for protection. We need to trust God for protection. Well, you say protection. Well, from whom or what do we need protection? And I'd say the first thing we need protection from is our enemies. And this was certainly the case of, for Abraham. Look back at the top of the chapter in 15.1. The word says this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. The Lord comes to Abraham. Presumably, he comes to Abraham because Abraham is feeling anxious, feeling disturbed. And maybe one reason why he's feeling disturbed is not anything to do with Genesis 15, but what's hap- just happened in Genesis 14. You see, there's just this recent pitched battle between five kings and four kings. And along the way, Abraham's nephews get scooped up. And so what Abraham does, as you know, He goes after them with 318 trained men and retrieves his kin. Now, isn't it so often the case that right on the heels of what we count as our biggest victories and successes through through God, we just suddenly inexplicably feel really anxious? And maybe the reason why Abraham's feeling anxious here is he just went through trauma. And that trauma is causing him to feel just generally anxious. And God meets him and says, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. Do not be anxious of those kings. Yes, there's a possibility to come back, but do not be afraid of your enemies because I am your shield. It's not the spear or the sword that's going to protect you in the end. It's I, your God. Now, Sometimes we acquire enemies in life uh, because we do foolish things or offensive things. But sometimes we acquire enemies in life just by being who we are. And sometimes we acquire enemies just by following the Lord Jesus Christ. 
because there's people who don't, as you know, don't necessarily subscribe to the same values that Christians subscribe to. We are studying the good old way. And as we study the good old way and live out the good old way, that's a, that's a threat and offense to other people. And they become our enemies or maybe it's a threat and offense to certain institutions or entities or, or political realities. And that can cause fear in the lives of believers. But if that's the case for you today, then let God's word to Abraham be God's word to you today. Do not be afraid. Why? Because God is our shield. God gives us his promise of protecting us from our enemies, but he also, not just our visible enemies, but also invisible enemies. And the reason I say this has to do with the rest of the passage. I want to skip, uh, skip along to verse 7. Here's what the Lord says to Abraham. He says, I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I'm going to gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, and while you're at it, throw in a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he didn't cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. What is going on here? Well, for the ancient readers, they would have recognized instantly what is going on. This is called a covenant-cutting ceremony. It's the making of a contract. In the ancient Near East, when you made a really serious contract, you would cut a covenant. And what would sometimes be involved is doing exactly what happens here. You take animals, you sunder them, put one part of the animal here, put the other part of the animal here, and that's your way of saying, if I break my end of the deal, if I default, then what we just did to these animals, may that happen to me. That was symbolically a way of saying, I've got skin in the game. God initiates this covenant with Abraham and makes this covenant a covenant that's everlasting, even to this very day. And it's fulfilled through Jesus Christ. It's the covenant promise of land. And this land is the platform for the kingdom of God. Now, when God cuts this covenant with Abraham, or has Abraham cut the covenant, there's an interesting toss in in verse 11. Scripture says that the birds of prey came down and started pecking away at the, the animals. And Abraham had to drive them away. A couple of days ago, Cammie and I were in Arizona. We were walking in the Arizona desert. We thought it was going to be a short walk, and we thought we were on the trail. And then we started having doubts, and the day kind of went on and on. And then we saw these birds kind of circling us as we're walking along. That are, that's these kind of birds. What are they there for? Why does the scripture mention them? Some commentators will say this is a, a call out to the Egyptians because as Abraham would know that his people, his descendants, would go down to Egypt, that they would be enslaved, and they, the Egyptians make life miserable for the Israelites. But I think there's a more persuasive explanation, and it's simply this. As far as we know, in, in Jewish thinking, birds were symbolic 
of the demonic. And we know that right up into the time of Jesus, this was the case. And in Revelation chapter 19, when it talks about the birds, surely there's a demonic element of what John the seer is describing. And surely when Jesus talks about this parable of the sower, when he talks about seeds that fall beside the path, birds come up and peck them up. And what are those birds, Jesus says? Those are Satan, the evil one. The birds that come and start picking away at these animals are trying to disrupt this covenant cunning ceremony. And Satan has always been in the business of disrupting God's covenant and disrupting God's covenant people. But to, to these dark forces, God says, and to us God says, I am God. And so my people, my brothers and sisters, we don't have to be afraid because God is our shield. And these invisible forces that we don't understand, far more insidious than the COVID-19 virus that we all need to mask up to protect against, there's an invisible force far more dangerous, as dangerous as COVID-19 is, and that's the forces of the demonic. You know, Paul puts it this way in Ephesians. He says, you know, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities of this world. And so we have to remember that because in all the hating that goes on out there, on social media and other venues, in all the ginning up of anger and people turning on each other and pointing fingers at each other, we as believers have to remember, no matter what we think about those things, whatever our position is, you know, it's our calling to love people. And our battle isn't with ultimately with people. Not with any man or woman, but with the dark forces that inspire them. Our fight is against flesh and blood, just as it was in Abraham's. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the, the forces of darkness, just as it was in Abraham's day. But here's the good news. God promises to protect us from both. God promises not only protection, but also God promises us righteousness. Let's go back to this really unusual ritual that Abraham is undertaking. He cuts the birds in half. The birds of prey come down. He drives them away. Then in verse 12, the scripture says this, As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then the Lord makes a promise. We'll come back to that, but here's what he says in verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen a smoking fire pot shows up. Now, for any reader who is familiar with this ritual, they would know exactly what's going on. You're cutting a covenant. Animals, one half the animals here, another half the animals there, and they're each their bloody mess. Now it was Abraham's turn to walk through the animals as if to say, if I blow it, if I don't keep my end of the deal, may what I just did to those animals happen to me. And this would have been Abraham's turn to make that walk but instead, God puts him in a deep sleep and a smoking fire pot shows up and passes through the animal pieces on behalf of Abraham. Abraham did not have to keep his own terms of the covenant. God said, I'm going to keep the covenant for you. And that covenant uh, was fulfilled when Jesus Christ was ripped open on the cross and he kept the terms of the covenant. And the penalty that we deserved for our sin he took upon himself and absorbed that penalty 
on the cross. And so what the, the good news for that, the good news of that is we have someone who's already passed through the animal pieces. Now, if you go back to verse 6, I'm sorry, verse 4, the word of the Lord comes to uh, Abraham. Abraham's concerned about his descendants. And, and he says, look, Abraham, your heir is going to be a son who's going to be your own flesh and blood. And to prove it, he takes him outside and he says, look up. Look up the stars and count them if you can. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. Now, I realize that most people in this room live in Chicago. And so when you look up at night, even on the starriest of nights, maybe you see four dozen, five dozen stars on a good night. Uh, this is the ancient Middle East. Abraham would have seen countless stars. How many stars? I don't know. But you know how many stars there are in the universe? I don't think anyone knows except the Lord himself. But astrophysicists believe not a million stars. There's not even a billion stars. There are 10 billion billion stars in the universe. Just stars, just like our sun. Wow. And God says to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. And he believed it. And God credited it, imputed it as righteousness, making Abraham in right standing with God. That God had the power to take his old body and bring life out of it. And that's as good as believing in the, that this God is a resurrection God. You know, our passage tells us some other things about people who are made right with God. The first thing that, that we can learn about people who have uh, been made right with God by this faith is that the Lord is their remuneration. The Lord's their remuneration. Back at verse 1, remember what God says, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. For the children of this world, their very great reward is in this world. It's the stuff... It's the status, it's the power, it's the ability to do this, the ability to do that. It's the legacy, you fill in the blank. But for people who are made right with God through faith, their remuneration, their reward is nothing on this side. Their weightiness is with the Lord. But there's a second thing that's true about those who are made righteous by faith, and that is the Lord is their master. This is certainly the case for Abraham because in verse 2, look what Abraham says. He says, Sovereign Lord, Yahweh Adonai, Lord, Lord. He understands that God is the Lord of his life. That God's in control, not just of his circumstances, but of the, of the world's circumstances and where this world is going. And that's a comforting thought, especially after the year that we've had. What characterizes the righteous by faith? The third thing is the Lord is their multiplier. The Lord is their multiplier. Now you say, what do you mean by that? And I couldn't think of a better way to describe it, but let me explain a little bit more about that. In verse 4 or 5, remember, he takes Abraham outside and he says, look, I know you don't think you can have children, but here's what's going to happen. Through your own body, 
we're going to have descendants, and it's going to add up to be more numerous than the stars in the sky, you know, that, that, that 10 billion billion. So your descendants will be. God said to Abraham, I will use you to create life. And what more powerful, more compelling vision is that? You know, I, when I graduated from I came to Christ in college, and when I graduated from college, I joined a campus ministry, and I moved out uh, to Western Maryland. Uh, this was in the 1980s. Uh, my rent was 180. My paycheck was 440. I lived out of a peanut butter jar. There were a lot of re earthly reasons for me to be anxious. God, is this going to work? Is am I going to fail at this? What's going to happen? Can I raise funds? All those types of questions. And I remember one evening walking up this hill in western Maryland, and there was this field. I just decided to lay down the field, and I looked up at the stars, and it was one of those beautiful, clear, crisp nights where you could see the Milky Way. And God brought this very chapter to my mind where he said to me, in so many words, count the stars, so shall your offspring be. And that was God's way of saying to me, Perrin, you can get all caught up in this stuff. Or you can get caught up in this vision of how I can use you and the lives of other people to reproduce yourself, to multiply Christ, the image of Christ in yourself and other people. But you have to give yourself to it. You have to give up and, and get involved in that. And let me use you in that. And that was such a, a night of encouragement. And tell you what, friends, that was a long time ago. And I have to make that decision again and again and again. Am I going to get wrapped up in my stuff, in my world? Or am I going to allow God to use me in the life of his church to be a multiplier? Where I could see God use me like a vessel to multiply Christ in the lives of other people. And as you hear me carrying on about this, you might be asking yourself, am I? That, that person who needs Christ. Maybe I've never been made with, right with Christ. Maybe I've never really put my faith in Christ. Maybe I've been relying on myself. Maybe I need this vision. And if that's your case, then I urge you to come to Christ today. Whether you're, you're beaming in online or you're here today, maybe you need the Lord and to know his righteousness by faith, by putting your trust in him and turning from your sins. There's a last piece that, that's promised here, and that's promise for future generations. As Abraham falls in a, asleep in verse 13, the Lord says to him, you got to know that, that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they're going to be enslaved and mistreated. I'm going to punish that nation, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried in a good old age. Verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. I'm going to give you the land, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, and company. And you might read that and say, well, that doesn't seem very fair to the Kenites, Kenizzites, and company. Why should Abraham have to be able to get that land when they've been living there? 
And if I have to answer that from Scripture, and I, and I think that's always your best bet, then I think what I would do is point you to Genesis 18, in verses 18 and 19, where God says this about Abraham. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Did you hear that? God has chosen Abraham so he can direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. You know, it's one thing to trust God for protection for ourselves and for our righteousness, but then we wonder about the future. Our children, our children's children. What is God going to do for the future? Abraham wondered about the same things. And God's, God says, I'm going to be faithful, but there's a plan. For Abraham, that plan was moving into this land. And this land would become the basis for the kingdom of God. God knew that in order for the kingdom program to go forward, there needed to be a space free of the Canaanites, free of the Kenizzites and company, where God's people could be God's people and figure out what it means to live in a way that's pleasing to him, to study the good old way. I'm the president of a Christian higher educational institution. I am a product of an uh, undergrad secular institution. I did my master's at an evangelical seminary. I did my doctorate at a Jesuit institution. And I wouldn't have changed anything about how I did my education. But here's the thing. I believe that Christians today need at least, when it comes either what's K-12 or college or postgraduate education, you need to have a conversation about what, whether for me, or whether for your son or daughter or granddaughter or grandson, whether specifically Christian education makes more sense than a, one that's not. And there's not a cut and dried answer to that. I'm not going to pretend there is, but I feel it's important to have those conversations. Why? Because Abraham knew that when it came to filling the land, he wasn't filling the land just because he was Abraham, because God wanted him to lead his household in a certain way that honored God. And that formation sometimes has to happen in a place where you're together studying the book the old way, you see. And God needs laborers. God needs leaders who are trained. When Abraham attacked the four kings, he had 318 trained men. At, at, at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, we're in the business of training church leaders. And the church needs that. And we and we're, love this partnership that we're in. And maybe God is calling you to be trained. But here's the thing. Here's the application for this church. Is guys, whatever your role is, discipleship is important. Do not neglect the Christian mind. Do not neglect Christian formation. Find ways to go deeper in your Christian life because here's the thing. As I said, I am at no loss for people telling me what to believe, what to value, what to do. I even see advertisements on, on television that are, are kind of explicitly saying, here's what you should do and believe, and it has nothing to do with the product they're selling. We need a map. 
We need a map. About five years ago, a friend of mine sent me a text of a picture. It had to do with another football team called the Atlanta Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons were going to play in Wembley Stadium in, in London, England. And they were so excited about that, they made a picture of the world with a map of North America here and then Europe over here. And first they had a, a game in Baltimore, so they draw, there's a line from Atlanta to Baltimore. And then there's going to be a game in London, England. So the line goes all the way here to, it ends in Spain. So whoever put the map together didn't know that London was not in Spain. The map was pointing to the wrong country. Sometimes we got to realize that most of our culture is pointing to the wrong country. And we need the right map. Abraham knew that in order to, to lay the basis for the kingdom of God that God was calling him to, he had to have the right map. And that was the basis for the generations to come. God's call to Abraham is God's call to us. We need not be afraid because he is our covenant God. He stands by his promise to protect us, to give us his righteousness, and to stay the course for future generations. That's a lot to trust him for, but he has put his skin in the game for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that when there's so much that's on offer today, it's just mere philosophy and thoughts and input, you backed it up by going to the cross for us. And we take that so seriously. And now, Lord, we have, as we transition, we take this time to yield our lives back to you. Lord, put our lives to work as you would put them to work. Thank you for this believing body, this church, these brothers and sisters, for their faithfulness to you. Pray that you bless them, increase their numbers, increase their depth, and make them agents for the kingdom of God in this community and around the world, just as you made Abraham such a blessing. We pray this in your name. Amen.